Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership in practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Now that we're officially finished our first season, we've decided to spice things up a little bit over the summer for your listening enjoyment. So every two weeks, we're releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, but in long form, so we can share even more delicious insights with you. The secret good stuff that you didn't get to hear. So listen in, grab a margarita. No, no, that's awful. Awful sounding and probably tasting too. Okay, okay. Grab a dakiri. Enjoy some easy breezy listening by the poolside with your favorite podcast hosts and let us know what you think in the review section. In this episode, we're sitting down with Brent Baldwin, genius marketer and founder of New Agency, who's worked with brands like Disney on Ice and the Harlem Globetrotters. You might remember him from episode two, The Failure in Resilience. We're going to learn some new insights about new leaders in the new age of the digital economy. Okay, okay, Tom, we get the pun. Too, too much? Ugh, I knew it. Yeah. Anyways, one of the many things we love about Brent is his generosity and genuine desire to see others succeed. I actually met Brent through a random LinkedIn post and he jumped on a call in the midst of a pandemic to encourage and brainstorm with other leaders. It was the epitome of the life lesson, you never know where a curious conversation will take you. In this interview, Brent reveals why he's obsessed with the word why, how leadership resiliency is centered around the ego, and how resilient brands evolve to continually differentiate themselves. Let's get right into it. My name is Brent Baldwin. Um, I currently am the founder and the chief strategy officer of New Agency. It's N-Y-O-O. Crazily, it's the phonetic spelling of the word new. I never knew that. Yeah, the, the puns are endless. I mean, I, I should be wishing you guys a happy new year since yes, it's uh, early in the month of January. But yeah, so we'll, we'll see if we can keep the puns to maybe 20 or, or less or so in this conversation. So, no promises. Uh, no promises, yep. But n- new is, uh, is, is relatively new to me as well. I've been doing this for about six or seven months now. Um, nothing like a global pandemic as a time to launch and start a business. Um, <clears throat> but I, I got a little bit of shove from the universe and pointed me in the direction that I'd been wanting to go anyways. At New, we're really focused on helping brands discover their why. So I think in the world right now, so many people focus on who, what, where, and when, but they forget the most important question, which is why. And when you can really understand 
and discover your why, that's when you can really start to engage and connect with customers around your brand. I think that's why it's so important what we're talking about today, really building brand resiliency. So I want to dive in um, to resilience, everything. Before we get there, tell us a bit about kind of your, the, the cred, the uh, the expertise you bring. I know you've worked with lots of great brands. You've had a, a really tenured career. Maybe just kind of give us a bit of that before we jump into it so people know. We're, we're talking to right now. Behind yeah. the brawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have been extremely fortunate to work with some amazing brands and to kind of get to steward and shepherd them in the right direction. Before starting new, I ran brand marketing for the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. It was really exciting to kind of get to sink my teeth into a brand that was 94 years old at the time and yet still had an opportunity to really grow and develop. A lot of what I did with the Globetrotters was really reposition the brand. They had been so focused on basketball and comedy antics. And really the heart, the DNA of the Globetrotters is that family experience, that shared moment between parent and child. And the expression of that was basketball and through comedy. So we really just kind of repositioned that brand. It was a lot of fun. Prior to that, I got to work with Disney on Ice. My very first show that I worked uh, was Frozen. So it was yeah. literally, it was <laughs> the, you know, the Disney movie the show. made for Ice. Um, and it was also just kind of like a printing press for money. It was wonderful. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So it was a it was a unique indoctrination to working with Disney, <laughs> but it was also really challenging because Disney was at this kind of you know, pivot point to to use our term from 2020 that we way overused. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It had always been Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Goofy, what they called the Fabs, the Fab Four, and all of a sudden there's this Anna, there's this Elsa and Olaf that are equal power star to them so much more than any of the characters, a princess or a buzz and a Woody or any of them had ever been. And so we really worked and helped them kind of understand how we could turn the Disney portfolio into talking about all of the characters inclusive of frozen, as opposed to just the traditional fab four. And as if I hadn't spent enough time working in the kid and family space, I actually cut my teeth working at Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, kind of around the time that Cartoon Network was going through this resurgence with their originals. So Adventure Time actually launched on the day that I started at Cartoon Network, which has become kind of like this new cultural animated show. Regular show followed shortly after I was at, I was there with Adult Swim when Rick and Morty launched. And so, you know, I was there as Cartoon Network was really thinking about their brand as well. TV Everywhere came on board, Hulu came on, Netflix started streaming, and as an organization, we all had to think like, okay, so traditional sitting down with the remote and watching linear TV is dead. How do we, as a brand and as an organization, kind of choose to pivot once again? Um, and for Cartoon Network, a lot of that was on gaming. So there was a big emphasis on when they built their app. It was about the dual screen of you can sit and watch an episode of Adventure Time and you can play a game on your iPad at the same time that's relating to what's going on with the episode. So um, a lot of fun, a lot of exciting stuff there. My secret bit of my history is that I actually was a trained focus group moderator for about five years as well, traveling all over the country and all over the world, living out of a suitcase. I think that's why I fell in love with the question why. You get to sit in a room 
you've got eight, 10, 12 people sitting around a table and you ask a question and somebody answers it and you go, no, 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 but why? And then <laughs> you have to have that comfort yeah. level with silence and kind of just being able to sit there and go, okay, I know they need to process for a couple of minutes, but I have to be comfortable with the silence and letting them do that processing and not trying to feed answers to them all the time. And so that inquisitive side of me is what I think really comes through with some of the brand marketing work that I do now. Oh, man. So, so many launches we could take from that. Launches? Lunches? Launches. Launch points. Both. There it is. Both. We could take lunches and launches. This, actually, the genesis of this topic about brand resilience started back in a conversation that you and I had at the beginning of, of the pandemic over a Zoom call. And it, it was about understanding your why and understanding how does that stay relevant in a big change is happening. And so I just, I want to start there. I think like when we started talking about the outline of this episode and what we want to cover, it, it came back this, I had this amazing conversation with, yeah. with this guy named Brent and and we were on the Zoom call and we were just talking about, you know, what's happening in the world. So let's start there. The Kind of the, the point that has always stuck with me is we were talking about right in, in the heat of the pandemic, brands needed to question, not their why, they needed to have their why st steady, but question how it kind of came to life every week. And one thing I thought was so interesting and so inspiring, it's like not left me since that conversation like eight months ago is, I don't know if these are the exact words, but you said something to the extent of like, I hope we don't forget that when the pandemic's done. I hope brands don't forget that every week they still need to wake up and go, why am I relevant? Let's let's start there. Is is did I do your words good on that or what do you remember that conversation? I do. I do. You know, it's it's interesting when I when we were kind of talking about doing um this conversation, I was thinking back to that conversation and I thought that conversation is the example of why I do everything. Mm -hmm. And it's the example of why you and I are still talking, why I've met Tom and why I still, you know, that we work together on projects now, you know, like w yeah. when I need help, I reach out to you guys because I understand your why. I understand like the heart of your company and, you know, it sets you apart kind of in the space of like, you know, when there's just clouded, like you're not a vendor to me. You got, it's like we have a relationship and we work together on things. And so it's funny that like that, that conversation, you know, has kind of crafted this relationship that has lasted, you know, nine months and has brought us back to this conversation. And, you know, candidly, I would say, I feel like that was some really, really great advice I gave about nine months ago. I don't know that I've taken it myself every day <laughs> as I've thought <laughs> through it, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, as I think about what's happened in my, in my lifetime since then, you know, we had that conversation shortly after I went on furlough from the job that I was at. I thought it was going to be short term. And so I did. I said, okay, what's my why? What needs to happen today? How do I kind of like think about what I need to do today? And so that became investing time with my family. You know, it was like, okay, let me put together like the list of all the things we wanted to do that we never felt like we had time because dad was always away or always at work. What's that honey-do list that needed to be, I called it my furlough fix-up list and still <laughs> sitting on my fridge and is still maybe 50% done, um, <laughs> you know. But you know, I think there are a lot of companies that have done that, that have constantly thought, okay, 
we thought this was going to be three months and we could just kind of ride it out and it didn't happen. And now we're at six months and nine months and there's a vaccine that's out. Who knows how long it's going to take for it to roll out and everybody be, you know, uh, uh, excited about taking it. And there's a lot of brands that I think, unfortunately, are kind of getting some flack for making the wrong decisions. But I feel like we should be applauding them for at least trying. It's interesting when I was thinking about what brands feel like they've been resilient, which ones have really got up every morning and said, like, what do we need to do to execute this? And one that kind of came to my mind was like Marriott Hotels. Um, I mean, the, the entire hotel industry has been, you know, just decimated. And they're doing things that we would have never thought they would ever do. I mean, you know, as, as a brand, you have your never list. It's like, I'm never going to do this. <laughs> Why yeah. would Marriott ever say, come rent our hotel for a couple of hours? Like, that's not, that's not where Marriott yeah, plays. That's where that's the true. sleazy motel down the street plays. Or why would Marriott say, hey, don't sleep in our beds, but sit at our desk and work for eight hours when you need to get out of the house? I mean, yeah. it's interesting, <laughs> you know, their DNA as a brand of we're there for people when they need us, whether it's a place to sleep when they're out of town, whether their AC goes out and it's, you know, it's way too hot at night, like, they just decided to say our DNA is still what our DNA is, but our offering and our product is going to change and shift based on this unique environment that we're in. And I remember when I started seeing some of the press and the publicity, I was, I was actually a little bit critical of them because I'm like, who has ever said the chair and the desk at a Marriott? Yeah, isn't that like the absolute worst thing when you're like, oh man, I really need to sit down and focus for a couple hours. <laughs> I'm out of town. Yep. I got to sit at my desk in my hotel room. Like, <laughs> and I was pretty harsh on them. But at the same time, like, it, it, it was pretty smart. They were sitting there thinking, okay, let's leave no stone unturned. No rock, you know, unturned. And let's try to figure out what we can do to create an offering that customers actually need that is unique in this situation. You mentioned this this term of DNA. So I think as, as business leaders, as brands, you know, we, if you were to put a list of, of 10 adjectives to describe what makes a, you know, a great brand, a magical brand, people would have resilience as, as one of those, because you just, you know, you know, you have to say that, but why is it important? Why is resilience important? Why is it a word or a philosophy or an approach that brands believe to be important? First of all, why, why do you think that's the case? And then I've got to follow up on that one. Because I think by their very nature, brands are not designed to be resilient. You know, when you hear Bill Gates talk about the Gates Foundation and the things that they want to cure and the things that they want to they want to do with their with their funding and their philanthropy, they have a focus of up to 20 years after their death because they believe they've been specifically gifted to solve the problems or help solve the problems of the world at this time. And people in the future are going to be gifted to help try to solve the problems of, of the future. I think that exact same principle applies to brands, applies to organizations. I mean, there is a reason that in the 40s and the 50s, the department store was the model that we needed at that time. 
and became the example of retail, there is a reason now that traditional brick and mortar is faltering and we're all going to Amazon and every other delivery service that is possible because the brand has decided what our need is and how they can best fit that current need. So just by hardwiring, brands are not meant to be resilient. They're meant to be kind of flighty. They're meant to come in, fill a specific need, help us out for a short period of time and give way to the next brand that's going to come around. So that's why when you think about it, if you want to have longevity, you have to be resilient. That's a challenging thing to hear. And I think for our listeners too, to kind of come at this knowing that brands aren't designed for longevity. They're not designed to last. And we, and we see this, you know, fortune 500 companies, the lifespan of those companies is coming down every year, you know, by the decade almost. And that's a wake up call, but I think it's also a good challenge. So to loop back to the DNA thing that you'd mentioned. So if we know resilience is important, if we know that brands and our businesses aren't designed to accommodate it, what does the DNA of resilience in a brand really mean? What does that look like? And how do we think, how do you think we can get that? If you think about DNA is how we are made. It's how we're hardwired. It's the one thing that we don't have control over. So if we go back to some of those same examples and we, and we take retail again, I mean, the DNA of a company like Amazon was they wanted to, to, to shake up and to unsettle the, re- the traditional retail experience. And, you know, the brands that have been resilient, I mean, think about Coca-Cola, 100 plus years old. I mean, their DNA is to provide refreshment and it gets executed by a whole bunch of different brands, by a whole bunch of different products under that portfolio. But they all have to relate to that idea of, of refreshment in some sense or another. And so I don't know that DNA of your brand and resiliency maybe go as hand in hand as we would like for them to, I think maybe your DNA is something that's incredibly hardwired. So speaking of uh, Coke, we'll use your example, Brent. I know you're a big believer in, as are we, that people buy brands, not products. So if Coke's DNA is to provide refreshment, their products are the things, they're the tactical, you know, uh, consumable that allows them to help pursue that. So if I'm buying the brand and Maybe resilience is part of that, that DNA. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something that, that they're striving. It's a, it's a goal to incorporate into their approach tactically. When a brand has it, when they've got that, when their approach is, we're going to roll with punches. When we get knocked down, we're going to get back up, like that really famous Chumbawamba song. Uh, I, I think, you know, people don't play it enough. It's a great message. So I play it every morning. I, I know it's, it's your pump up wake song. Up song. That's right. yeah. <laughs> so what does resilience look like for the brands that wield it? And when, from your experience, when can you see that it's just not there? And, and what does that look like when things go wrong? Resiliency, I don't think, means that you get it right every time and that you have all the answers. I think resiliency ties back to that conversation that Kyle and I had, which is you have to be open, you have to be adaptive, you have to be both inward and outward reflective, and you have to go back to 
whatever your brand standards are and constantly evaluate them. Going back to that idea of nevers, Coke would never do this, but did something happen and has the world changed enough that they need to evaluate? Is that still on their never list? Probably the most famous example of Coke is New Coke in the 80s, where they just absolutely got it, like, horribly train wreck, like, 2020 <laughs> yeah. level Plot bad. Wow. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but what's so funny is, um, you know, in recent years with Stranger Things, you know, they brought New Coke back and they made fun of themselves and their failures. And they, you know, they short-term relaunched the brand and used it as a stunt. And basically, I mean... You know, previous CMOs, that was probably on their never list. Like, they've got a giant poster with an X through it that's like, you know, he should should not be named. (laughs) That's right. You know, like, never, ever, ever speak of new Coke unless you want to go collect your things. Um, (laughs) But I mean, like, you know, how brilliant was the team to be, you know, to be confident enough in their brand and to say, that's what resiliency looks like for us. You know, we're, yeah. we're going to say, like, let's be open. Let's be receptive to some of these things. And, and let's kind of challenge the norms and the nevers that we thought we would never put forward. Yeah, there's this level of I, I just a courage. It always comes back to courage for me if you have had a conversation yeah. with me. So but it, it really is right. Like it's that courage that to look at that never list, to try things that maybe failed before or just to try things again when they have failed last week. And just this continual ability to get up, try again, be okay with failure. Do you see that in a lot of, like when you look at brands that are, I'll call it like short-term resilient, or I know brands like you're saying from a DNA perspective, over 50, 100 years, like they're, they're not designed to last a millennia, but in a short term, do you see that kind of like ability to just continue to keep at it and the courage to try again and to look at failure in a different perspective than brands that aren't resilient. Is that something that you see? Yeah. I mean, um, think about Toys R Us. I mean, talk talk about one of the most epic, you know, traditional brick and mortar retail failures where, you know, over the span of about a year, they were like, we're going to close a few stores. We're going to kind of tighten the belt a little bit to complete and total bankruptcy. And like, I think they were selling Jeffrey the giraffe from the headquarters just to like pay off some of their last debts. But, you know, they've come back as a resilient brand. I mean, they, they've partnered and said, okay, if our core DNA is toys and fun and the magic of a child receiving a toy and that experience of playing with it, that doesn't have to mean that we're a store where everybody comes. And so you see things like the Toys R Us pop-up shops inside of Target and partnering with somebody that's getting the executional side a little bit better. You know, they put together actually an experience. They partnered with some toy brands where there was the Toys R Us experience that was traveling the country and kids got to go and they got to play in kind of the Melissa and Doug world and have fun. And so they really thought about what's our core brand DNA, that delight of a child when they get to play with a toy and how can we execute it in new and different ways? How can we be resilient? And instead of being so focused on this is what Toys R Us is going to be for forever. Let's experience it or let's introduce it as a a new and different experience. Why don't we shift over into like putting this into action? You know, what are some of your thoughts on like, if we know that 
being resilient is important. We talked about brands that got it right, brands that didn't. How do they stay resilient? What does that look like? What can leaders do to kind of help their teams move in a way that acts resilient? Yeah, I think probably the most the most practical thing that everybody, every brand can do right now is take your 40-page strategy deck and consolidate it down to one page and print it out and plaster it on every team member's desk, send it to them at home at a frame, whatever you need to do, and then look at it every morning. And maybe every morning is a little bit of an exaggeration, but the idea, you know, and I was guilty of this, you know, for so long in my career, once a year, you would build the brand strategy and you'd build out your 18 month calendar of what are your tentpole executions and, and what are our tactics and what's going to be our message from time to time. And that just doesn't exist anymore. So how, how do you make your strategy document be a little bit more of a living and breathing thing? Something that doesn't feel like it's cemented and in place for 18 months at a time right now. And that's really challenging for some major organizations. I mean, think about traditional CPGs like Kellogg's. Everything's done on an 18-month timeline. I mean, think about manufacturing. There's the development cycle, the production cycle, getting your slotting and your spacing and retail. I mean, everything is done on these huge timelines. And it's been really, really hard for a lot of these organizations to kind of shift that thinking and that mindset. But I think that's the biggest thing. And 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 maybe that's why I, I keep thinking about that conversation that we had so many months ago is because it's, it's actually a simple thing to do. I mean, to go look at it and go, okay, are we still all these things today? Like what, what has changed, you know, like, you know, when we're taping this, there was a pretty major election in the U S <laughs> yesterday, um, in my home state. <laughs> so, oh, it's uh, right. yeah. Oh so, you know, so, so I, I wake up this morning and I, I read the news and I go, okay, so what's changed in my life today now that it feels like, you know, two weeks from now, the U S government's going to be significantly different, but I mean, you know, it's what, in the outward environment, but also in our internal organizational environment has changed. And all of these truths that we put on paper are still truths. And how many of them do we need to go back and adjust and update? I like that. And, and I think it needs to come top down. I think, you know, the next group of great CMOs are right now probably at that director level in some really big brands, and they've got some amazing ideas right now. They're the ones that are solving this resiliency issue for these big brands. And I'll, part of it is they don't have a lot to lose. You know, it's, it's kind of okay if they come out with this far-fetched, crazy idea. But if they don't have support from the top down, from the CMO level down, then it's going to be really hard for them to feel like they can go and, and bring that forward. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about these people for a minute. Like we've, we've really been focusing on the, the brands, the entity itself, but as we all know, there are individuals and teams at the center and the heart of all of those. So as important as it is for that DNA, for this attitude or approach of resilience to be part of a company at the brand level, I, I think a lot of the examples that we're seeing of, of failures in this area likely come down to the leadership decisions of individuals. And and so we've talked about courage. Kyle always talks about courage. It, this will be a theme yeah. in every conversation and podcast that we have. Every episode. Every yeah. episode. <laughs> but how have you seen ego 
play into the failures or just the pace that brands have been seeing through like even even through recent months you know and do you feel that there is still importance in an at an individual level to drive change and resilience even though you might feel like a small piece of a really big brand i think ego is probably the biggest thing that is holding a lot of these big brands back from success and there's been significant turnover at a lot of these brands over the past 12 months or so. And a lot of it has been getting traditional marketers out of that CMO role and bringing more digital savvy markers in, people that have a little bit more of a background and strategy, or even people that maybe came up through the ranks of creative and, and are more of kind of a, a creative person as opposed to a traditional marketer. And you can see those organizations are succeeding and are kind of thriving. You don't have to look a lot further than like WeWork and kind of just like their tragic downfall with their founder and his massive ego and how he just thought that that entire company was his for the taking, you know, for, for the profiting and everything. And it's sad because they're obviously hurting because of the pandemic, but I don't think they would have survived long-term anyways just because of the the horrible situation that he left them in because of, again, ego and just being self-centric. And so, you know, a, a lot of the, that new crop of leaders, it's because they demonstrated that characteristic of resiliency, of being open, of being receptive, you know, I kind of try to translate it when I'm working with people to transparency. I try to be extremely transparent when I'm working with my clients. Everything from pricing to telling them the things that I am great at, telling them the things that I'm not so great at, talking them out of ideas that wouldn't be right for them. And I, I think this new crop of marketing leaders and brand leaders, they, they kind of share that. They understand their strengths. They understand their weaknesses. And they've built and are building teams around them that kind of complement and support that. There's like a, it's like a personal resiliency, like a leadership resiliency around ego. Like when you talk about simplifying a 40-page strategy deck into one page, put on your wall, you're like asking the team to act with agility, to come with ideas. And there's this like leadership resiliency is what I'm hearing. Tell me if I'm, if I'm on the right page mm-hmm. of saying like, I'm okay if my idea isn't the best. I'm okay if leadership is about unlocking 40, 50 people around me, not just me presenting some master beautiful mind plan that everybody executes. And that is like a personal resiliency, I think that you're touching on that is maybe overlooked in great leadership and brands. And it's humility. It's really hard to have humility to be humble in those moments because your your path to climb up that up that ladder has been based on being right so many times or potentially, you know, your team being right, but you're the one yeah. that kind of reaps the benefits and the rewards of being right. And you're right, this this new crop of leaders. They show humility. They're transparent. The old saying, the only idea I like better than mine is, you know, is a better idea. I mean, it is so (laughs) true. You know, it rings with these people. But it's also, you know, I, I feel like it's a little bit humbling and it's a little bit 
Also, you have to have that ego in a good way. Yes. You have to have that self-confidence in a good way that I'm very confident in my abilities, what I bring to the table, that I'm okay surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me in certain areas. And because we have this two-way street of trust and because I know that when they succeed, I succeed and I want them to grow and they want me to grow, it's it's understanding where your ego and what your intentions of your ego actually lie. Are, are they pure and are they true or are they just purely selfish? So. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I mean, we're really big believers and I, I'm sensing that this is starting to come out of this conversation where at least I would have enough ego to say, I feel like the brands that are most resilient are the ones that build their team or their leadership in particular with resilient, humble open, creative people, the ones that are looking to the right goal, the right end in mind, the right why, and holding that close. And that that these big moves, these big successes and big failures are predicated a lot on the makeup and the composition of the smaller parts being the people making the decisions that are ultimately going to drive the outcomes. I absolutely agree. And Great leaders, they're magnetic, they're easy to follow. I mean, you know, I, I've followed some great leaders down the wrong path that we knew was the wrong path because I trusted them and I believed in them. And along the way, we discovered it was wrong. I've also been very hesitant to follow some poor leaders down what I knew was the right path because I knew we were going to butt heads and we were going to argue and fight the whole time. And even though there was ultimately success with that plan. I just knew that that was not somebody that I could follow and somebody that would be, you know, a good leader for me to, to work with. I think so then if we were going to look to pull all of these pieces together, we know that resilience is important. We know that it may or may not be part of the DNA of a brand and that brands are made up of a collective of individuals. So how can we put the call out to those individuals, those leaders that are listening to step up, to hold resilience as something that is a test of a, a lot of different measures within their leadership wheelhouse? And how can we look to reinvent every day, every week, every month, and try to still strive for that end goal and that, that purpose that we're, that we're working for? I think the simple call to these leaders is be better. And I think that if you get up every morning and you think, how can I be better? How can the work be better? How can my brand be better? How can I be better about providing value for somebody then you will go down that right path. And I, I think it's very simple. It's something easy for us to think about. And some days we're going to knock it out of the park. And some days we're going to struggle mightily and we're going to go in the wrong direction. But I think it's okay as long as every morning we're getting up and our mindset is focused on that and on being better. And a lot of that comes through just you know continued reflection 
You know, and I think I think this is a theme that we've heard a lot too. Is it's just you have to be reflective on everything on yourself inside your organization, outside your organization. You know, reflective on what your brand looks and feels like today compared to yesterday, because the pandemic has taught us so many things. But one of them is that every day something is going to change, and we have to wake up every morning and be reflective on what that is. And I think that extends beyond just the work we do as brands. I think it expands into the work that we do as humans and we do as people. And so every morning, how can I get up and how can I be better? What can I do in my neighborhood, in my community, you know, the people around me, the circles that I run, you know, the people that I call family, whether they're, you know, real or kind of, you know, just adoptive through the neighborhood. I mean, we've I live in the back of a neighborhood on a little cul-de-sac and there's like five of us families that have just really bonded together through this. Some of them have kids. Some of them have become adoptive grandparents. Some of them are the (laughs) kooky and uncle with too many cats and dogs and birds (laughs) and, you know, and like it's, it's what's become our family in this. And every morning, you know, we get up and we support each other. Um, just like I think all the brand leaders, the great brand leaders are doing out there. They're getting up every morning and they're saying, how can I support my community? The people that look to my brand for hope and for inspiration and to fill whatever that need is um, each day. Whether it's just having a bowl of cereal in the morning, whether it's kicking back and you know watching Netflix at the end of the night. Or, you know, you know, enjoying a Coke in the middle of the day, whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that this actually should be the easiest time for us to do this. You know, when it's probably going to be hard is when things return to some sort of a normalcy because we'll feel like we can just go back to the way things were. We can feel like things aren't going to change every day or every week. And so it's going to be really easy to go back to a lot of those old habits. And hopefully this new crop of leaders is going to take this concept of resiliency to heart. And it's going to become part of their DNA as a leader. And they're going to, you know, supplant it to the DNA of their brand. And they're going to say, man, this worked so well for us when things were hard. Let's keep doing it when things hopefully are a little bit easier. That was perfect. I have I have nothing to uh, to add to that. I say those are perfect closing thoughts. The only thing I wanted to add is I think we could call them new leaders. Ooh, new it's leaders. obviously spelled N Y O O. Way trademark. Below the, way below the twenty puns that that I had promised. <laughs> yeah, I know you promised. So, yeah. I did bite my lip a number of that. times, um, but and and I also didn't I didn't <laughs> interrupt when you were talking about. Disney on ice and, and some idea of like skating through uh, or, or slam dunks, you know, with, with the approach with the, the globe trotters. So I think overall we did, we did pretty well to, we did pun, pretty good pun free. Yeah, we did pretty good. So. <laughs> I just, okay. Thank we'll you. Before you go for my own, for my own pleasure, but maybe for the show, what's on your bookshelf right now? Oh man. Can't get to my bookshelf right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's on your virtual bookshelf right now? I know. I'll tell you. I actually let me see if I can find it. I picked up a new like planner type thing that's focused on setting goals on a daily, weekly, monthly planner. 
It's called the Full Focus Planner. And so it's not on my bookshelf, but it's how I'm trying to kind of tackle the the new year. It's by a guy, Michael Hyatt, put it together, who writes a lot of like self-help books and things like that. I'm reading Soonish, which is a book about like disruptive technology. And so, you know, all these things that we thought were 50 years down the line are actually probably only about 10 years down the line and how is some of this technology going to disrupt things. So the book's probably about two years old. So, you know, AI is probably a chapter that I haven't gotten to that's already come to fruition (laughs) and things like that. And then, you know, for me, it's also been a lot more about like reading articles that get posted on Medium and finding them through LinkedIn. And I love that snackable content stuff that I can sit and read, you know, in two to three minutes that really addresses a specific topic. Right now, I'm spending a lot of time and energy on like changing set behaviors. So some of my clients are kind of entrenched in really established and mature markets. Um, For example, you know, the the salsa company, they're in a very mature condiment market and nobody really knows that there's this whole category of refrigerated salsas. So it's not only just pushing them to that brand it's pushing them to this whole kind of tangential market within the market so i'm researching and really a lot about like change behavior and how do you get people to stop doing something that they've done every single day for like their entire (laughs) life (laughs) and it's a lot harder than like 28 days makes a habit Oh yeah. Um, so if you guys have ideas or thoughts or or you want to you want to help just solve like, that that yeah. Pythagorean theorem over there for me, send them my way. So I would appreciate it. <laughs> I was just gonna say once you crack the code, yeah. maybe send us some tips. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, I think we need a little brain trust next time. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So for Brent. Brands that understand their why and bake it into their DNA is what sets them apart from everything else out there. And as leaders, understanding your why creates resiliency. The next generation of CEOs and CMOs get this, and they're focused on bringing teams together that complement their strengths and weaknesses. Brent, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and share your recipes for success with the Commerce Chefs community. And that's it for today's episode. We hope you found it helpful and gained some new ideas to make the brand you lead even better. And if you're looking for even more insights and recipes for success, make sure to follow us on social at Commerce Chefs. And remember to join the Commerce Chefs community launching this fall. Save your spot and join now at CommerceChefs.com slash community. In the meantime, we're currently deciding which spicy interview to share with you next. Make sure to tune back in on September 16th to find out who it is. And lastly, if you like this episode and you want to support us, you know you want to. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, this has been a dash of Tom. And a pinch of Kyle. And a scoop of Brent. We'll be cooking with you in two weeks.